Now please turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. As I said, I've been preaching on a few of the parables in anticipation of starting a sermon series through the book of Judges, and we'll be getting to that here shortly. Today we're going to look at a parable in chapter 20, uh, which involves a highly unusual employment situation, and uh, this would have not been lost on uh, Jesus' hearers. And this is a fairly short parable, and it's a pretty simple story. Understanding what exactly it means is a little bit trickier for us. So let's give attention now to God's Word. You can find this on page 1135 if you're using the Pew Bible. And I will be reading out of the New King James Version here this morning. Let's give attention now to God's Word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. So he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil? Because I am good. So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. And there will end the reading of God's word. May he bless it to us as we think about it together this morning. Well, last night, I will say, I was somewhat taken aback when I turned on the TV to see that... uh, Michigan State was playing against the University of Washington in football. And as I just watched for a few moments, I noticed that University of Washington was completely destroying Michigan State and that their quarterback was having a particularly good outing, throwing for about 400 yards and four touchdowns. And then when I realized that the quarterback was the former IU quarterback, Michael Penix, who wasn't able to throw a a, a beach ball in the ocean uh, his last year here, I have to say I was slightly bitter about that. And and there was a part of me internally saying, no, this can't be happening. he, he, He was here his last year. I realized he was hurt. But his last year was a debacle here. And now he's over there. Uh, throwing for 400 yards and looks like an NFL prospect. What's going? Well, we have to admit it. Oftentimes, in a situation like that, our natural impulse is to think about, uh, well, what do I get out of this? Uh, How does this affect me? 
And so in a situation like that, it doesn't matter if Michael Penix does well at, at, at Washington. It doesn't have any impact on what's happening here at IU. It's not going to make us better or worse. But yet I, I, I'm prone to looking at situations through the grid of what do I get out of it or how does it affect me. And this is often the way it is for us. We are prone to look at situations in that light. And this can affect the way we are at work. Somebody else gets a promotion. How, do I, how does that affect me if I'm not the one? Or at school, somebody else gets the high grade or wins the award. How do I respond? Or in our families, uh, children, you might think, sibling gets uh, new clothes, right? Do I now need to get new? Can I rejoice in that uh, good thing that's happened to my sibling if it doesn't happen to me? Or this can even happen in church. I mean, we're in a situation now we could be saying, Look at all these people. I can't find a parking spot. Right? Uh, and and, and it's, it's just natural for us to think about how these things affect us and not think about the bigger truths, the bigger realities. And what Jesus does here is he tells this parable, is he reminds you and me that all that you are and all that you have is a gift from God. Everything is a gift of his free grace. So that we need to learn how to rejoice in his goodness to us, but also in His goodness to others. And that's what we'll see as we look at the passage. And children, if you'd like to draw a picture, draw a picture of these workers waiting in the marketplace and um, wanting to be hired and what happens to them. And then if you, if you draw a picture, if you fill out the outline there, and you can take it to Mrs. Burton after the service, and she gives out wonderful rewards for you. So make sure you do that. Well, let's start working our way through the passage. There is an outline in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The first thing I want us to notice is, like Peter, you are prone to asking the question, what do I get out of this? Now, part of understanding what this story means is to understand the context in which Matthew places it in the Gospel. And so some people look at this and they say, well, this is obviously a rebuke to the Pharisees who they didn't like these sinners being brought in uh, at the last minute, as it were, into salvation. So that's what this is all about. And that, there may be some truth to that, but the problem is if you look at the context where this, uh, where this parable falls, you see that something else is going on that's very clearly related. So if you look back in chapter 19, you see in verse 16 and following this event with the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says... You know, good teacher, uh, what must I do to, eternal, uh, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, well, keep all the commandments. And he says, check, I've done that. And then Jesus says, well, then sell everything and come and follow me. And what does the, the, the man do? He goes away sad because he has great possessions. And Jesus follows that up in verse 23, saying, I surely I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so his disciples are, are really shaken up by this because, of, of course, in that day, if you were a wealthy person, that was evidence that God loved you more than everybody else. And so, uh, of course, the wealthy people would get to heaven first and everybody else would be uh, having a hard time. And Jesus seems to be saying something very different. And the disciples say in verse 25 of chapter 19, um, who, who then can be saved? Well, if the wealthy can't be saved, who can be saved? 
And Jesus responds in verse 26, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So Jesus in effect says, no, you can't be saved apart from God's grace. It's impossible to do it on your own. And then Peter follows this up in verse 27 with this, with this statement, question. See, we have left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? What, what is in this for me? What do I get out of this? And in verses 28 and following, Jesus explains. Uh, he's going to bless His people abundantly, those who serve Him. But He then ends it in verse 30 by saying, Many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is exactly, Jesus, Jesus changed the order at the end of the parable, but this is the how the parable ends in verse 16 of chapter 20. So the last will be first and the first last. So the, the parable's connected to this discussion with Peter about, hey, what do I get out of this, Jesus? Interestingly, if you follow the thread into the, the next part of chapter 20 after the parable, you see you have this event where the mother of James and John comes and asks Jesus if her sons can be granted the privilege of sitting at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. So this theme of seeking what's in it for me continues after the parable. And I think that is what the parable is addressing. It's an extended response to Peter's question in verse 27. Now, Peter is voicing a question here that's often in our minds, even if it's not on our lips. And this is one place where children are so wonderful, right? They, they don't have the filter developed yet. And they will say things oftentimes that we are thinking, but we have, you know, we've learned, of course, we wouldn't say that. And so, you know, when somebody else is getting their ice cream, hey, where's mine? You know, comes right out because the kids say what we're often thinking. Uh, that it's a, it's, it's, it's some, it's time for someone to pay attention to me and to provide for me. James Boyce in his commentary on this parable tells a story about a famous American evangelist who was speaking about prayer. And uh, they, people were turning in you know, cards asking questions. And he read a particular card that said, I've been a church member for 30 years, a Sunday school superintendent for 25 years, an elder at my church for 20 years, and yet God doesn't answer my prayer. You know, what's going on? And the evangelist's response was, you know, this man thinks that because he's been a church member, a Sunday school teacher, an elder, that God is under some kind of an obligation to answer his prayers in a particular way. And ultimately, this man is praying in his own name. And I wonder how often this kind of Thinking creeps into our own minds. How can this be happening to me, Lord? Haven't I done all these various things? A number of years ago in our church, we studied a book called Praying Backwards by Brian Chapel, And the whole premise there was rather than sort of praying in Jesus' name at the end of our prayer, that we come to God at the beginning of our prayer through Jesus seeking Jesus' glory above all else, and how if we did that, that might color the rest of our prayers as we begin with Christ. So this is common thinking. We're like Peter. 
always concerned about ourselves, always making sure we get what we deserve, what we think we deserve, asking the question, what do I get out of this? But secondly, we need to be reminded that all you have and all you are is a gift from God. Jesus helps Peter see this reality in this parable. So we have this in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 20. A landowner goes to market at sunrise. It says early in the morning in the parable. Now that would be the first hour. The, the workday there was from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., roughly sunset, uh, sunrise to sunset. And um, probably they would have a couple hours that they would eat and, and take breaks in the midst of that. So they're working probably for 10 hours, something like that. And, uh, and they're, they're uh, occupied for 12 hours. And so the worker comes in, or the, the, uh, the, the landowner comes in to hire day laborers. And he gets a bunch of laborers at the beginning of the day and they go off to work. But then it tells us uh, he comes back and uh, goes back at about the third hour. And uh, so what's happening here is, is it that he decides, wow, I've got so much work, I need more workers, or we're in a real rush here because of the weather, or maybe the Sabbath day is coming. Uh, we, we're not told. Uh, I think it's, it's clear as we look through the passage, this is not an economic decision. He's not doing this because this is the best business practice. And he goes back. He goes back at 9 a.m., the third hour. He goes back at noon, the sixth hour. He goes back at 3 p.m., the ninth hour. And he goes back at 5 p.m., the eleventh hour, each time hiring more workers to come into his field. Now, there, there are challenges to understanding this, applying what's going on here. As, as is always the case when we look at a parable, we can't push every detail uh, or else we'll get into something ridiculous. Like, the Bible doesn't teach that God owes you for your work, uh, that somehow you know, God's under your obligation. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach that God can't get His work done unless He has a certain number of you or, or something like that. The Bible doesn't teach that, um, as some have said, that, uh, that everyone gets the same at the end. And so, well, you get eternal life. And yeah, it's kind of like a day's work and, uh, and everyone gets the same. And that that's the point. These are, these are not the point. We have to understand what it's really teaching us about the Lord Jesus and about His kingdom. Uh, the underlying point, I think, to understand this is to, is to realize that the, land under, the landowner owes nobody anything. Right? That nobody here is owed anything. They're not owed a job. The fact that he hires these day laborers is in itself a gracious thing. The life of the day laborer was worse in some cases in the Roman Empire than the life of the slave because the day laborer is not promised food and shelter. And in fact, this is why we read earlier in the service from Deuteronomy 24, why God's law says, You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land, within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages, and not let the sun go down on it, for he's poor, and he set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord, and it be sin to you. He's depending every single day for the, food that he earn, for the money that he earns that day to buy food for his family which is why they had to be paid on a daily basis. So simply going to the market and getting hired for a day would be a wonderful blessing 
to these workers. And the overwhelming sense that we get of this landowner is that he is a man who is compassionate and concerned about the needs of others. He goes to this marketplace five times. And it seems like he's emptying out the marketplace of all the workers, even those who came at the 11th hour. And we might be saying, well, what would be the benefit? Why would you even take a job if you, if you only had one hour's worth of work? You're going to get one-twelfth of a denarius? How does that even happen? And uh, some commentators have speculated, well, if they got to work in the field, at least they could eat the grapes while they were harvesting. They could eat a little bit. And so there would be something there. Kenneth Bailey, who's written a really interesting book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, describes this scene. He says, this is a scene that still happens today in the Middle East, where you have young people wanting to be hired, and a van pulls up, and then you may have five to ten young people run to the van, hoping to be chosen. Pick me, pick me, so that I can work. And Kenneth Bailey said that he he would just turn his face away, because it's so painful to watch the expressions on the faces of those who are not chosen. The humiliation and the despair, where am I going to get money to feed my family today? And he didn't even want to look. But even in those situations, he said, nobody's nobody's hanging around waiting to get hired after noon. Nobody comes back that late in the day to hire people. There's something really unusual going here. And and some people might say, well, you know, if you're wanting to to dispense with charity, why don't you just go give them money? Why did you go even through the pretense of having these people work for an hour if you knew you were going to pay them like you did? But of course, we talked about this earlier, that destroys people's dignity. And this landowner is compassionate, and he cares about their dignity, and he brings them into the field to work. And he's clearly not acting in his own economic interests. He's going to pay some of these workers who only work one hour. He's going to pay them for a full day's work. He may not be a good businessman, but he's very generous and he's compassionate. And in essence, he hurts himself to be able to do good to these workers. And isn't that exactly what the Lord has done for you if you're one of his people? He's paid great expense to bless you. He suffered, giving up his son. So that people like us who really have nothing to offer him, we're in the marketplace, we're not picked, we have no way to provide for ourselves, and the Lord at great expense to himself comes to us and gives us a place in his family. And this is a wonderful reminder. And you can't begin to understand what Jesus is teaching here if you don't get this starting point. We brought nothing into the world. We're taking nothing away with us. We are utterly dependent on the Lord. Everything you have, everything you are, is a gift of God. Not something you earned. And that's an important starting place. We need to be reminded of that. But thirdly, we also need to be reminded that God is completely free to distribute his gifts as he desires. Now the commentators notice there are several strange things that happen in the parable that would have have caught the attention of Jesus' 
listeners. In other words, things that would never have happened, right? So hiring people so late in the day, that, that would not happen. And then this uh, process of paying the people. So in verse 8, when evening comes, the owner of the vineyard says to his steward, call the laborers, give them their wages. In the original language, it's literally give them the wage because this was known, a denarius was known as a day's wage and you could feed your family for a day on that. So he says, let's, let's uh, pay the workers. He's a, he's a righteous man. He's paying them at the end of that day. And it says then, and when those who were hired about the 11th hour came, they each receive a denarius. Okay, so this is a mind bender, right? The people that worked an hour, they get the day's wage for the whole wage. They, you know, when he invited them to come work, he just said, I'll do what is right. Well, he's doing way beyond what's right in giving them a full day's wage. And, and, then, uh, and then, of course, you see what starts to happen to the people who work the whole day. Immediately, they're thinking, what does this mean for me? If the one-hour worker gets a whole day's wage, what am I going to get? Because I worked 12 times as much as this person, so I should be getting a lot more. And uh, so their expectations change. Verse 10, when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, but they likewise each received a denarius. So again, they begin to think in terms of what do I get out of it? But of course, when they get what they agreed to work for, when they got the fair price, they are outraged. Verse 11, they received it, they complained against the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. As uh, Kenneth Bailey says in his in his book, grace is not only amazing, it is also for certain types infuriating, right? It's very interesting. If you take away the, uh, the, the, the guys that came late and worked only a little bit, and you just took those people who worked all day and you gave them the denarius, they'd be thrilled. What a blessing to have a job for a day and to get paid at the end of the day. They wouldn't have had any problems at all. It's only the fact that, that, uh, that the landowner was being generous to other people is what that's what really upset them and so this is how the landowner responds in verse 13 uh, he says to one of them perhaps uh, the ringleader of their complaining group friend i'm doing you you no wrong did you not agree with me for a denarius take what is yours and go your way i wish to give this last man the same as you is it not lawful for me to do what i wish with my own things or is your eye evil some translations say are you envious because i am good and that really was the problem they couldn't stand to see the landowner bless somebody else to be gracious to somebody else to give something that was undeserved to somebody else that was what really caused them problems uh, Simon Kistemacher speaking about this, and, and these are on the bulletin as well, these cross-references and, and quotations. His accusation of injustice is nothing more than a cover for envy and greed, right? Overpaying people is not injustice, right? Or Klein Snodgrass also commenting on this. We worry about justice, but too often we dress up justice as justice, what is in reality jealousy, or we use justice as a weapon to limit generosity how true that is it's certainly true in our political realm right when when you hear people excited about let's soak the rich you know let's let's crush the corporations right this this appeal uh, to envy that we dress up as some sort of justice 
Uh, again, the basic problem here is not understanding that God doesn't owe us anything. And if we don't understand grace, this is how we will respond when we see God's good to people around us. We should be celebrating wherever we see God's grace, but oftentimes we don't. And note that this is the very point that Jesus is trying to make. Do you realize if the, if the landowner had simply paid them in the order that he had hired them, none of this would have happened. Pay the guys that worked all day, send them away with their denarius, everybody's happy. Pay the other guys later, nobody's the wiser. The people at the end are thrilled, the people at the beginning are thrilled. But he intentionally does this so he can display his grace in the face of these people and show what is in their hearts, which is that they think they're owed something. But Jesus here is speaking about a very powerful teaching moment. And then Jesus brings this home at the end in verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. And this is the problem, isn't it? We don't want to admit that God is free to do what He wants with His gifts. Like the landowner says in verse 15, Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? If it's lawful for a wealthy landowner to do what he wants with his money. It is more than lawful for the God of the universe to do what he wants with his gifts of grace. Romans 9.18 Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. This is what the Bible teaches. And, And perhaps it's a particularly American phenomenon that we rebel against that idea. If God doesn't give everyone grace, then somehow God is not being fair. But does not God have the right to do what he will with his own gifts? Because his will is perfect, and his love for his people is perfect. And so Jesus reminds us God is free to give his grace as he wants. So fourthly, then, instead of asking, what do I get out of this? We need to... Seek God's help in being able to rejoice in his goodness to us and also to others. Commentators note that the parable doesn't really have a conclusion. It just stops. It just ends. And in in essence, it leaves us with a bit of a question. Where do you find yourself in this story? And what is your response to God's generous offer of grace? And I wonder how many of us see ourselves as the 12-hour worker, the one who was out there bearing the heat of the whole day. I mean, clearly this is how the Pharisees would have viewed themselves. Perhaps Peter was starting to see himself in this way as one who had served as a disciple. Is that how you see yourself? Or do you see yourself as a one-hour worker who's hired when it's really too late to do anything and you're not there because you're doing the landowner any favors, you're there because he's being gracious to you. Children, I hate to break it to you, but sometimes, especially when you're young, your parents hire you for 
a job, right? You're going to go clean out the car, wash the car, or do something. And they're not really doing it because it's a good uh, financial transaction for them, but they're doing it because they love you and they want to encourage you and teach you how to value money and things like that. And this is very much what's going on with these 11-hour workers. They're, they're not doing anything that the landowner needs. They're merely recipients of his grace. And he pays them enough to live on so that they can feed their families with dignity. This is a picture of God's amazing grace to us. And if you see yourself as that person, it helps you celebrate what God's done for you and what he's done for others. And we should celebrate when we see God's grace working in the lives of others. I put in here a quotation from John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says, We are bidden to so esteem and regard whatever gifts of God we see in other men that we may honor those men in whom they reside. For it would be a great depravity on our part to deprive them of that honor which the Lord has bestowed upon them. Right? It's, it's one church. It's one God fulfilling his plan. And we should be excited wherever we see the grace of God manifested. That should encourage us. And we should praise the Lord. And that's the heart. That's the heart that we should have as we think about all that God has done for us in taking away our sins and making us his children. But I, I want you to, want to notice one other strange thing about the parable that would have, again, gotten the listener's attention. In verse 8, we're told that when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, his manager, Wait, what? There's a manager? If there's a manager, why? Why has the landowner gone to the market? That would never happen. The landowner wouldn't have gone to the market even once, let alone five times. So when the question comes back about, hey, what you're not treating us right, we've borne the heat of the day. Who bore the heat of the day? The owner bore the heat of the day. The owner kept going back, kept going back to show grace to those who needed it. And my friends, if this doesn't describe the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know what does. The Lord who just keeps coming, who keeps coming for his people, who comes himself. Right? God came himself. He didn't send somebody else to do it. He came himself. And he's the one who bears the fires of the furnace of hell so that his people who can really do nothing for him can be forgiven, can be saved, can be given work in God's kingdom. Jesus' critics, they didn't understand this. Why does he keep coming for these people? It looks like Peter maybe was starting to be confused about this as well. But see in this parable our Lord who is so compassionate and gracious that he comes to you and he gives you all that you need. And he does it in such a way that you become a worker in his vineyard. We're prone to saying, hey, what about me? 
we need to see God has given you all that you are and all that you have. And He wants you to rejoice in the goodness to you, but also His goodness to the people around you. Let's pray and we'll ask the Lord to help us think about these things. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the richness of these parables, which show us the work of our Lord in in such interesting and unusual ways, powerful ways. Lord, we thank you that the Lord Jesus frees us. He, He knows we deserve nothing, and yet he gives us everything. And we pray, Lord God, that we would see ourselves rightly as as those who are recipients of grace. And as a result, we wouldn't be thinking about, hey, what's in it for me? And at the same time, we wouldn't begrudge God's goodness to others around us. But Lord, we would celebrate your goodness to us and your goodness to those around us, that we would rejoice that you are such a gracious God who doesn't outsource his grace, but who comes to us, comes to us needy as we are, and keeps coming, and gives us a place working in his vineyard. Lord, we pray that you would help us to recognize who we are, and that we would receive this grace, and we would live in it. Help us, Lord, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. And now let's sing our praise back to the Lord from Psalm 145, Selection B. Again, as we've been hitting on this theme, we see in this psalm as well, the Lord is full of compassion and gracious. He abounds with graciousness. He's slow to anger and he's steadfast in love. Uh, This is our Lord who was so gracious to us. Let's stand and sing our praise to him.